0: You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at org. Good morning. Uh, how many of you guys can remember your first girlfriend or boyfriend growing up? Yeah, and, and some of you guys might have married that person. I imagine most of us did not. We kind of had to learn some... Some lessons along the way. And I, I remember with my first girlfriend, I, I dated this girl, I met her in youth group at Eastwood Baptist Church, which is a church right down the road on Highway 80. I met her there, and we were dating for a couple months, and we were getting lunch at McDonald's on Barksdale Boulevard, nothing but the best. And I remember her saying, hey, Tommy, we need to talk. And you go, uh-oh. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's usually not a good thing. And And she said to me, I think God is telling me we need to break up, and I'm like, "Well, He didn't tell me that." <laughs> can I go? Can I go pray and have a word <laughs> with him? But it's one of those things where it's like, "What do you say to that?" Because at that point, we're both going to church. Like we're you know we we're saying that we value Jesus and we value God. So like I'm not going to come in and say, "Well, can you disobey Him?" You know. Uh, it clearly wasn't going to work, and that was the end of that relationship because that was the ultimate trump card. God told me that we should break up. So I took that lesson and I put it in my pocket for later use. Um, and it's fine. When I look back on that story, thinking about it. We were both teenagers, and, and didn't we have a ton of language or maybe self-awareness? And really what she meant was, I don't like you that much. Like, I'm not really feeling this. I don't think this relationship is going to go much further. That's what she meant. But she didn't have the language for that or the clarity around that, or maybe she just wanted to be nice, or maybe she wanted to pull all the chips in and say, God said it, so what are you going to do? I don't know. Um, but this morning, I want to talk about spiritual bypassing. And this story is, is innocent, it's funny, it's, it's, we're fine, right? Um, it's a story of, of using God or religious language to kind of get out of a difficult situation or avoid a harsh reality. And that situation is fine, but spiritual bypassing um, can be something that's a little more insidious or dangerous at times. And so I want to give us a definition for that. The, the, the term spiritual bypassing came from uh, the psychologist Robert Masters. And he says, spiritual bypassing is the use of spiritual practices and beliefs to avoid dealing with our painful feelings, unresolved wounds, and developmental needs. And I want to make sure I reiterate the girlfriend story is not really that big of a deal and not really a huge example of this, but it can give you maybe a clear picture of using God to kind of avoid hard conversations. So, spiritual bypassing is the use of spiritual practices or beliefs or language to avoid dealing with our painful feelings, unresolved wounds, and developmental needs. And there's times when spiritual bypassing and guys I'm gonna mention this and my hope is that you'll begin to realize that how it's kind of the water that we swim in. This is just what we do as as humans, as Americans, as Christians, as Christians in the South. Spiritual bypassing is just the language that we speak. It's what we do when we feel uncomfortable in a situation or don't wanna face harsh reality. We kinda of use religious language to bypass the thing. And, and sometimes it's, it's like if someone shares hard news and we want to get out of that conversation because it's awkward or we don't know what to say and we just say, I'll be praying for you as a way to change the subject or to end the conversation and walk away. And it's great to pray for each other and it's great to say that and to do it. That's fine. But when we say, I'm, I'll be praying for you as a way to get out of the conversation, that's bypassing pain Sometimes we focus, uh, as individuals, we focus on the positivity. Well, let's see, like, God has a better plan for you. This is going to work out great. We just, we focus on the good things, and we we use religious language about how God works good things together for those that love him. And we use that to try to, like, get out of the awkwardness or get out of the pain or discomfort that we might be experiencing. That's spiritual bypassing, when in relationship we say something to get out of uh, the, the discomfort. Uh, it's a way to avoid our disappointment. It's a way to avoid our doubts. It's a way to dismiss our desires, and we all do it all, all the time. It's a way. It's also a way that lacks curiosity. So when we tell someone, oh, "I'll be praying for you," and just kind of end it there, it, it's a way. To, it's, a, it's a lacking of curiosity for what's that like for you? What can I do for you? How can I be with this in you? So when we when we spiritually bypass people, it means that we use religious language or beliefs to avoid grief, to avoid discomfort, to avoid the unknown, to avoid our fears, and it can be insidious. When I was um, seven, uh, a tragedy struck my family. I had a sister, Stephanie, she was two and a half, and she got sick, and the sickness came quick and sudden, and, and she passed away. She died from, from the illness, and that is traumatic. It had a devastating impact on my family and my mom and dad, obviously, myself as as the older brother, and we didn't really have the tools to handle that. We're still feeling the impact of the loss and the death of Stephanie 30 years later. It it was traumatic. And one thing I remember as a seven-year-old that was just pure emotion and no logic, I remember person after person coming to me and saying, well, Tommy, she's in a better place. As a seven-year-old, I'm like, I don't care. Like, I want her to be here. And they'll, be, and they'll just, or they'll say something like, "Well, God must have needed another angel." And I'm like, "I don't care. God can. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what words I had as a seven-year-old, but they were colorful. Uh, you'll see her again. Okay. It'd be great if I could see her right now. And I know that the people that said those things, those platitudes, they meant well. They were out of their depth. We were all out of our depth. Because how do you process a loss like that? But I remember those words just constantly trying to be like, I don't know what to do with this, so here's a nice platitude. I'll see you later. Good luck. That's what it felt like. So spiritual bypassing was a way to avoid the weight of the grief of that kind of loss. It wasn't healthy. It wasn't healthy for my family. My family kind of operated in that way. We just bypassed the grief with spiritual platitudes. Uh, recently, this past, about a week ago, uh, a man in town named Bobby Stevenson passed away. He was a youth pastor at First bosure for decades. My wife uh, was fortunate enough to be under his leadership when she kind of went through youth group at First Bossier. And Bobby was one of the good ones. He was just a great man, full of integrity and warmth and compassion, he's just a really great guy. And because he was at First Bosure, which was a big church for a long period of time, um, he was able to influence so many teenagers as they kind of went through critical phases of their faith journey. And so he got cancer just a few weeks ago and attacked very suddenly. He died about a week and a half ago, and it was just, it was quick. It was just like that. And one thing I, I noticed with Bobby's sickness and then death were the stories that kept coming out about Bobby. There was another friend of his named Robin Horton who's on staff at Simple Church. She created a group me chat. She created basically a chat for anyone that knew Bobby to kind of come in and join the conversation and to just share stories about Bobby's legacy, Bobby's impact on their lives, and the grief that they were feeling. And we spent, I mean, I spent hours as hundreds of people just sharing story after story about Bobby's impact on their lives. And it was a really beautiful example of community. It was a really to me a healthy expression of, of, of a faith community, honoring a, a man giving weight to his stories, giving weight to his impact, and grieving the loss as a sudden loss uh, of what that looks like. And to me, that's what healthy community looks like. Let's name what this is. This is hard. This is tragic. But Bobby's life was beautiful, and let us celebrate that. It's giving space for the weight and impact of Bobby and the loss of Bobby. It's beautiful. I think that's a healthy example of what faith communities should do. Not just, they're there, he's in a better place. And surely parts of the sermon and funeral, there was pieces of that. Bobby is now reunited with families. There's, there's parts of the Christian belief system that were, that were sprinkled in and obviously throughout those conversations. But there's also space for honoring and for grieving the loss of a friend. Humans, and, and particularly I would say, I think American, maybe it's an American thing, we, we run away from discomfort. As soon as we feel pain, give me the painkillers. If I get a headache, I'm immediately running for the title. We we avoid pain, and we avoid talking about our our mortality and our death because we're afraid of it. That's a human thing, and also I think maybe more intensely an American thing as well. We want to avoid thinking about death and and loss. Um, But I really appreciate, like, the Jewish tradition actually creates religious structures around grieving. Uh, They have a thing called Sitting Shiva, where the family sits together and and share stories and and, and is present in their grief with each other. Um, There's so many stories in the the, the Bible of communities grieving. We think of Job. When Job lost his family, he sat in in sackcloth and ashes, and his friends joined him in that. And his friends weren't particularly great friends all the way through that process. But there was a process there of how to grieve unspeakable loss. We think of David when David lost his first child with Bathsheba he spent a time a period of time in mourning they have a structured way this is what it looks like to be in the grief because we need to grieve the thing in order to heal to find wholeness in order to move on jesus says this in the beatitudes he says blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted not blessed are those who avoid mourning but blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted carl jung famously says it like this what you resist persist." What you avoid stays with you. And you think it's not impacting you, but the very nature of avoiding it, it's showing that it is impacting you. It sticks with you. So there's lots of personal examples of spiritual bypassing when we use religious language or beliefs to avoid discomfort and sadness. But I want to talk about some corporate or organizational examples of spiritual bypassing, too. It doesn't just happen in one-on-one relationships. It also happens in organizations, now, a few weeks ago, uh, Guideposts, is a company that has investigations, they released a report on the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, they, 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 they went and investigated two decades' worth of abuse, of sexual abuse, in the Southern Baptist Convention, and really they only studied a, a small portion of of the organization, and, and the results came back, and they were just pretty, pretty damning. They were pretty awful. If you think about the Catholic Church scandal that came out with Spotlight uh, years ago, this is on that level of bad. It's just... Bad, And I want to give credit to the Southern Baptists in the sense that they hired Guidepost to do this report because they kept hearing from, from abuse victims that this abuse was going on and being ignored. And so the Southern Baptist Convention did hire Guideposts to do the report. Um, they spent two years investigating. They came back, and it was just bad. And the Southern Baptists have a lot of work to do in trying to figure out how to, how their systems enable and empower and continue abuse. They have a lot of work to do. I also want to say this isn't like a Southern Baptist problem only. I'm not here to rip or bash on a Southern Baptist. This, this kind of issue happens across all denominations. Uh, there's, there's plenty of abuse. Wherever there's power, it just seems there's corruption, there's abuse, and there's stuff. But as this applies to spiritual bypassing, and spiritual bypassing is using religious language or beliefs to avoid hard things. One thing that happened over and over again in, in this report it was the stories of an abuse victim, someone who was sexually assaulted, would come and report that abuse to a higher power that be, and they would be dismissed, disbelieved, and they would be given some kind of line like this. Hey, if we make this abuse known, if we make it public, it's going to hurt the mission of the church. It's going to hurt the gospel. Souls will will be lost to hell if we hurt the mission of the church and report these abuses. And obviously there's a, a huge fallacy there. It's not the awareness of abuse that's creating the problem. It's abuse. It's the lack of accountability. Souls are being harmed and damned and, and, and traumatized with the cover-up of the abuse. So Southern Baptists have some work to do with this idea of using religious language. Hey, the mission's too important to pay attention to the abuse. No, how we treat people is the mission. How we treat people is the gospel. And to avoid the conversation to dismiss victims is to only create a bigger and bigger problem. A, a, a church I, I worked at formerly a few years ago, we had a season where there was a lot of turnover. Like within six months, there was 100% staff turnover. I was I was one of the staff. Uh, mine, mine, 100% minus the lead guy. And we had, over the, a few years, leader after leader of volunteers leaving the church because they were being wounded. Through interpersonal relationships with the lead guy. He was just wounding people. And I remember sitting in the room with the elders of the church at the time, and one of the elders said, you know what's happening right now with people leaving the church? God is just pruning us so we can bear greater fruit in the future. God is just pruning us so we can uh, have greater success in the future. And they used that as a way to basically victim blame the people leaving and saying, those people are dead weight. Those people were pulling us back from the mission, and they never really addressed the actual issue of wounding that was going on in those relationships. That's an example of spiritual bypassing. Using religious language, Jesus said in John 15, um, the tree that bears fruit will be pruned so that it can bear more fruit. That is a biblical verse, but he took that verse, and he used it to ignore and avoid the hard conversation in the room, Is which is, why are people leaving? Why are good people leaving? Why are people that were healthy leaders Now unhealthy and leaving. What's going on here? And rather than actually address that that issue, they bypassed it and said, oh, God's just trimming the dead weight so we can move on. Not healthy. I would say if you ever hear a church leader say something like, hey, Satan is really attacking us, that your ears should perk up and you should start asking questions. Because it could also be that those church leaders are like embezzling money and starting to be held accountable for that, hypothetically. So if a religious leader says, oh, Satan's really attacking us, things are going really bad, start asking questions. It doesn't mean you have to be suspicious of the leader. They might be a person of great integrity. But that kind of language can really be a way to, to dismiss or move away from things that need to be addressed and kind of scapegoating Satan in the process. i want to give one last example of, of spiritual bypassing. Today is Juneteenth. It's June 19th. It's Juneteenth, which is the longest-running African-American holiday um, here. And also, in the past two years, it's become a a national holiday. Biden signed it uh, to be a national holiday, I think, last year. And Juneteenth is the celebration of when the last slaves were finally freed. And they were in Texas, and they were, they were freed two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. So it took two and a half years for the reality of slavery to be ended to actually go into effect. Now we can go into talk about sharecropping and all sorts of other stuff that happened after that was basically other versions of slavery. That's a whole other conversation. But America has a a racist problem in its history. And the end of the Civil War and the freeing of slaves is obviously a huge part of the pro- of progress, that's great. And the civil rights movement uh, last century was was impactful and great and made a lot of progress, but there's still a lot of work to be done. And the church, which should be a part of the solution, often finds itself being a part of the problem. And the, the topic of racism is very complicated, nuanced, and I'm not going to go into great detail because that's a whole sermon series. But I do want to focus just one second on what does spiritual bypassing and racism have to do with, with each other? One thing that's happened, I've had a lot of conversations with friends that are church leaders the past couple of years, especially starting when, when George Floyd was, was murdered, and, and then the whole just movement of, of the culture around these conversations of race. I remember having all these conversations with, with friends that were Christians or, or pastors, um, and over and over I heard comments like, can't we just move on? Can't we just forgive? I heard comments like, I don't see color. Like, we're all God's children. Um, it's not godly to be so angry. Racism's not really a big deal anymore. Like, I heard these comments over and over and over again. And when we use language like, shouldn't we just forgive? When we don't still talk about the impact that still continues to happen in, in our country, it's, it's bypassing. We're not facing the issues that still currently exist. Yes, progress has been made over the years. There's still a lot of work to be done. And if we just say, hey, everything's fine, let's just move on, we're ignoring the issues that still exist, and we're using God's name to do it. Spiritual bypassing, it's, it's, it's deadly. If we can't look at something and name it, we can't move on from it, it will continue to be a problem. What we resist persists. So how do we deal with spiritual bypassing? I just want to give the definition again. It's the use of spiritual practices, beliefs, or language to avoid dealing with our painful feelings, unresolved wounds, and developmental needs. So how do we avoid avoiding? How do we avoid using religious language to avoid harsh realities? And the first thing I would say is we have to name it. Now, Jesus said this in the Gospel of John. He says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall... Set you free. You should know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I love Gloria Steinem's addition to that. She says, the truth will set you free, but first it will tick you off. And she uses some other words there, but I felt a little uncomfortable using them in church. The truth will set you free, but first it will tick you off. Christ wants to set us free, but sometimes facing the truth is painful. It's hard. It's necessary. It's necessary. So in order to confront grief or disappointment, to, to be honest about our desires, to be honest about our doubts, the first thing to do is just to name it, to look at it in the face and say, this is what it is. Give it the proper space and wait in your life. And the next thing I would say is then we invite God and we invite others into that space. When we look at the story of, of, of the Gospels and we look at Jesus, Jesus didn't, like, come down just to rescue us and, and pull us out of the pain of life or the reality of life. Like, that's not the story of the Gospels. It's not like, here's this great rescue plan. He's not trying to rescue us from discomfort or pain or suffering. It's the opposite. Jesus joins us in that. He emptied himself out and became like us. He felt what we felt. He lived what we live. Jesus joined us. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. as Isaiah says he is a man that was well acquainted with sorrows. And we have stories of Jesus being angry and Jesus being sad and heartbroken, him weeping, him being stressed out and anxious. Jesus joined us in the midst of it. He, and, 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 so, and so the call to, to wholeness and to health is to invite God into the pain, not to avoid it, but to invite God to be in, here, be in it with us. A lot of us want to jump from the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper straight to the resurrection, but there's a path in between that, right? There's things in between that. There's the cross, and there's Black Saturday, there's pain and suffering, there's silence, there's doubt, there's fear, there's un- the unknown, things we can't control. Those are in between. We can't just jump from from the, the, the Last Supper to the resurrection. We have to go through the valley as well. We want to transcend. We want to experience God and experience all that life has to offer while excluding the bad stuff, but the invitation of the gospel is to say, what if God met you in the bad stuff, and he used that to transcend you, for you to find connection with the divine, connection with each other, and fullness of life, and this is just a throwaway, maybe you just need to see a therapist, and like go get help, and just talk about it, there's something about naming it, and talking about it with someone that's equipped to listen, and ask questions, and offer guidance, but we, we have to talk about it. So I have a couple of closing questions, and we'll, we'll start a song. And there may or may not be acoustic. There will be voices. A couple closing questions. Where have you seen spiritual bypassing in your life? Whether it was in community or relationship or maybe just your inner dialogue. I had a friend the other day. I was talking to him about this, this concept, and he said, oh, man, like, I jumped from one job to the next job because I thought God was telling me to. And maybe he was. I'm like, I don't know what you'd do with that. But it's like, well, what if, what, what if we took God out of the equation, which is not really something you say in church? What if you took God out of this decision-making process? What fears or desires might have led you to make this decision to jump from one job to the next? And if you are fully aware of your fears or your desires, your longings, your doubts, if you are fully aware of those things, how might you invite God to to jump in and maybe even course correct and say, you don't need to be afraid because I have abundance to give you, right? What would it look like to be aware of of our feelings and our fears and our pain and to invite God into that conversation rather than to say, I jumped over to this job because I was afraid, but rather than saying I'm afraid, I just said God told me to do it. Tommy, I think God's telling us we should break up, right? (laughs) Where have you seen spiritual bypassing in your life, whether it was in your faith community, your family, a relationship, or your own inner voice, your own inner dialogue? And if you can think of an example of that, the question to follow up would say, what do you think you were trying to bypass? What were you trying to avoid? What was the community trying to avoid and why? And what would it look like to invite other people into that honesty or to invite God into that conversation as well? Okay. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Amen.